Today we're starting a sermon series, we've simply titled it, God's Good Creation. Some might wonder, why preach a sermon series on creation? And I believe that even though things are difficult in our, in our world right now, especially the way that things are right now with COVID and everything and the lockdowns and everything, we need to keep reminding ourselves that God's creation is still good. And his creation is still wonderful, it's still glorious. It hasn't changed. God's plan for the world did somehow not, not somehow change when sin entered the world way back in Adam and Eve's day. It's not as if God decided, uh-oh, the world just got downgraded, so now I won't care about it as much anymore. Now it doesn't matter as much anymore. In fact, I'll just kind of let it just drift on its own, and it's all damaged anyway. No, nothing like that. It is still beautiful. It's awesome and it's glorious. You just have to go for a walk, perhaps, in the park, or see a sunrise, or see a sunset. Take a look at life. Take some time and just marvel at what nature has. Or maybe even do something that's a little bit closer to home. One thing that I enjoy watching as I'm getting older is watching little children. I seem never to get tired of it anymore. When I watch little people, as they crawl about and as they interact with each other, I do believe that little children live life closest to what God designed it to be lived. My hope and prayer is that during this sermon series on God's good creation, we can find time and focus our thoughts on what God has done, how blessed we are. And just maybe, maybe this week, we can find time to just watch a child at play. Or maybe, if we don't have children in our lives, Watch some of the creation. Watch some wildlife. That too is beautiful. Yes, I understand. We all understand. The world has fallen. It's broken. There's much that is wrong. And Jesus came to give us life for humanity. But that does not take away from the wonder, the glory, and the beauty of what's around us. So for the first sermon in this series, I've simply titled my sermon, God Made Paradise. That's our first sermon, God Made Paradise. I would like you for a moment, just imagine for a moment, the perfect place on earth. Imagine, if you could, a place where everything would be just right. It wouldn't be too cold, and it wouldn't be too hot. It wouldn't be too dry, and it wouldn't be too wet. It wouldn't be too windy, and it wouldn't be too still either. It would be perfect. And then imagine, this would be a safe place. A place where no one would hurt anyone. There would be complete security and complete safety. And then imagine, there would be no need of any kind. I mean, no possible conceivable need of any kind. Every possible need could be, that could exist would be met. You would not experience injury. You would not experience pain. You would not experience loneliness. Now, this may sound boring, but let's now continue imagining that in this place you would anticipate newness of life. You would experience enthusiasm and excitement, and you would experience the delights of tasting new things, experiencing new things, and experiencing new delights. And imagine that this would be a place where every morning you would wake up better than the previous one, and each new day would be an exciting adventure where you knew it would end better than it began. That sounds like paradise, right? 
There was a place in the time when that existed. It was called Eden. That's the Bible story. Many people may not be inclined to believe it or think it's real, but it's the historical record of the Bible. Whatever Eden was, what we do know for sure, it's not now. We don't experience it now, we don't see it now, and we may not even be able to imagine it now. And the way we experience our world today, we know it's so far from perfect. It's not working all that well, there are so many problems, infinite problems it seems. And Whatever we may be doing, we're not living in paradise. But there was a time, another time, a different time. In fact, there was a time when Eden didn't even exist yet, itself. There was a time when there was no time. All there was was just God. God has always been according to the record. There has never been a time when there was no God. God is the one who created this thing called time, in which he placed this thing we call the universe, and he sustains it by his power and his control. But God did more than just make the universe. God created a place in this universe where he wanted to put an image of himself, and that is us, you and I. When I say an image, I don't mean an image as in a physical being so much as an image of God that reflects his glory, a living creation that reflects the beauty and the majesty of God's glory, the emotion, the joy, the excitement that we can experience. But more than anything, God is the God of life, and he made a place in this universe where life could exist. Think for a moment. Think what God did. God made people. Living beings who would reflect his glory and worship him. In the sermon series, we want to look at what God did when he created this wonderful place. What I do not want this sermon series to turn into or to be is about science. I know when it comes to the books of the Old Testament history and so on, the history of God's people, there are many people in this world, Christians no less, who are very fixated on having to prove everything scientifically with formulas and mathematical equations. When it comes to these stories historically, some people get into all kinds of fancy stories, many of which have sadly been proven to be just fabricated, embellished stories that people have made up and made a lot of money out of, only to later have them questioned and even debunked. And that's not the direction I plan to go with this series. For the record, in the big scheme of things, I'll just say it flat out, that I hold to what is called the young earth creation story, but that does not mean I take the Bible as a science book. It is not a science book. It simply tells us what God did. And however else God worked it out, that's up to him. I just take the Bible story and go with that. And it has been only a few hundred years that science came on the scene and has gotten busy trying to figure stuff out. And they know a few things. But what we now have to science is trying to have the answers in which they're having more questions than answers. I have no problem with science. But science is not the end-all be-all. I'm not judging it. The discoveries they're making are great discoveries. I'm only saying science is uncovering more questions than answers. And we have to admit science is still in its infancy when it comes to understanding life, creation, the universe, and so on. And simply, because we cannot wrap our brains around some of what we read, that does not mean it didn't happen or that it's not true. What we are trying to do, sadly, is we're trying to compress 
all this vast amount of information, what we see through telescopes and microscopes and discoveries, we're trying to compress it into our own understanding. And we just don't know very much. It's very humbling to read about some of the stuff that's being discovered. We as humans are simply very small and very finite, very limited. And too often, among all of this, we, more than anything, just reveal our ignorance. I'm reminded some years ago, it was maybe 08 and 09, when those wind farms were starting to pop up in our community, especially in the Chatham-Kent area. One wind tower after another was being constructed, and as they got on, online, they, they started turning with the wind, and one day I was informed of two young boys who had figured out that the reason there was such an increase in wind in our communities was because these wind towers were being put up. If it wasn't for these wind towers that these construction companies were building, we wouldn't have so much wind in our community. We may chuckle and smile at kind of childish information like that or childish thinking like that. But that's a little bit the mind that I have that I think is God must be looking at when we're exploring science and trying to come up with all kinds of answers and and know-how. This is how that works and that's how this works when really we know so extremely very, very little. We may think we know, and we know a few things, but really, in the big scheme of things, we're just extremely, extremely limited. See, the problem is not the Bible. The problem is we're looking at it with the wrong lens and the wrong objective. So the question we should ask is, how does God want us to read the Bible? How does God want us to read the Bible? I suggest that God simply wants us to read the stories of the Bible for the purpose for which the writers wrote them. And that's it. The Bible is a book given to us by God to tell us about God, to teach us what he wants from us, and how can we live to please him. That's it. There's a lot of stuff we don't know. When God created this world, it's interesting how he started it. And we may think it's surprising, but the reality of the fact is, when God created this world, he had a progression a series of steps that he undertook. And it went from one place to another. I just want to read Genesis chapter 1, beginning verse 1, and read some of the verses here for this morning, what God did. It doesn't tell us how he did it. it. doesn't give us the equations, the formulas. just tells us what he did. It says in Genesis chapter 1, beginning verse 1, in the beginning, evolution created the heavens and the earth. No, it's not what it says. God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The world at the start was not organized, ordered, or structured. It says the earth was without form and void, and it was dark. In other words, there was chaos, and it took God's power, God's influence, God's creativity to bring structure and order into this chaos. It says in verse 3, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. When it talks about light, a whole list of thoughts come to mind. God is described in the Bible as light. Light is a metaphor for power. It's a metaphor for truth. And light is a metaphor for life. When God said, let there be light, he brought into existence what we today know or believe is light. I have to admit, there are times I just stop and wonder at the immensity of it all. But then quickly remind myself, God just spoke this into existence. So powerful, he does not need any kind of special force. He's in command, 
He's in charge. He's in control. And he directs the powers of the universe. And what scientists tell us, the billions and billions of stars and the billions of galaxies and whatever else there may be. A few years ago, one source mentioned that there may be 100 billion galaxies. I don't know. But I just thought about that. And then they say each galaxy has maybe 100 billion stars. Can't even think that far. If you wonder what a galaxy is, just go outside on a clear night, go out in the country somewhere on a clear night in the dark, when, it's, when there's no moon, look into the sky and you see what's known as the Milky Way. That's our galaxy, our sun, our solar system, our planet, and so on. From the human mind, this is simply beyond comprehension. And to think each one of those stars has energy. It produces light. It has tremendous amounts of energy at that. And the psalmist at one point writes, God calls these stars by name. Just think of our little place in the universe. Think of the sun as we know it. What astronomers can tell us, it's whatever they tell us. They estimate that we're just one little microcosm, one little piece among the whole thing. Among the billions of stars and the billions of galaxies and so on. Just so you know, there's no energy crisis in the universe. All this talk about climate change, well, I'm not going to go into that. I'm just saying that in the big scheme of things, we human beings are not nearly as significant and powerful as we may think we are. And we don't have nearly as much control as we think we do. I'm not saying we should waste and squander this little place called Earth. We should take care of it. But we cannot put ourselves at the center and make ourselves the end-all, be-all. We're created for worship. But back to God's creation. God started it. He created it. He organized it. And he did some more things. Verse 5, it says, God called the light day, and darkness he called night. And there was evening, there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. Let dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Numerous times here, there's a phrase that's that's given to us that's called, God saw that it was good. Who decides what's good? God decided the reference point or the standard of acceptance or approval, and God saw what he made was good. At this point, just let me point out that as of yet in the story of creation, no life had appeared yet. The earth, it was formed, it was the dimensions of it, where the seas would be, where the land would be, and so on, but no life had yet appeared on the earth. It was like God was creating the foundation, getting this place, this little planet ready for life. In verse 11 it says, And God said, he's just talking, he says, And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, which is their seed each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, trees bearing fruit which is their seed, each according to its kind. God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. Isn't it not interesting? First God makes this place, then he makes it habitable, that can sustain life, and then he puts animals on it, and then he puts puts um, puts uh, vegetation and food on it, and once it's all stocked, once it's ready, then he's going to put uh, living beings on there. God created plants and trees for food for the living things that they would need to eat. And again, I admit I don't have an 
any of the answers that a lot of people might have at this point in time. Scientifically speaking, I cannot explain this. I don't know. But I will say it's a miracle. Just the fact that you and I live is a miracle. God is full of miracles. I do not believe science will ever fully unravel this, how it happened or how it is sustained and how it keeps going. Just the fact that a person can make something does not mean the person understands it. For instance, let's just take, for instance, when God put plants and vegetation on this, on, this, on this world. I know scientists have been trying to unravel this, but we never will. But just think for a moment, a grain of wheat. Just imagine a little yellow grain of wheat. It can be decades old. It can be hundreds of years old. If it's been protected, you take that little grain of wheat. The scientists can tell us what it's made of. It has this and this and this and this in it. Scientists can tell us what's in it. You take that little grain of wheat, put it in some moist um, dirt and some sunshine, warm it up, and in a matter of days, there's a little plant. That's a miracle. That's, That's amazing. And no matter how many billions of dollars of research we spend, we can't duplicate it. We can't create it. Not a grain of rice or a grain of wheat or a grain of corn or whatever. Now consider science can't even do that. Now let's up it one notch. Now let's bring life into it. Let's say, I mean, created life. <clears throat> let's continue reading, verse 14. God brings the, the different lights into existence. It says here in verse 14, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening this morning, the fourth day. And God said, and here it begins, Let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. Verse 21. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw it was good. And God blessed them and said, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill, fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, there was morning, the fifth day. In verse 24, And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and their livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God's created this place. He laid out the foundations. He set things in motion. He organized this place. He brought vegetation to existence. He organized the seasons with the, with the different lights and so on. And the plants and the vegetation was there. And then God brought animal life into existence. We have not yet talked about human life. We won't today, but we will next Sunday. That's the plan. But each day, God advanced creation a bit more. And each time, he said it was good. Nothing wrong with this place. Everything exactly the way he wanted it. It says in the ending of verse 25, it says, And God saw that it was good. He doesn't give us any list of formulas, mathematical equations, and details of what God did. And that was never the intent. As I said earlier, I do not believe the human mind will ever fully grasp the mystery of life. We understand a few things, but it's far too complex for us to understand. Scientists have not unraveled it yet. They know a few things, but mostly we don't know things. But that does not take away from the story. 
It is a very beautiful story of what God did. This is a beautiful story, and next Sunday we're going to talk about how God introduced humans into this beautiful setting and how that turned out. We're going to read the last part of Genesis 1 and the beginning of Genesis 2 of when God placed humans on this planet. But the story of Genesis is a story of God's power and God's glory at work. Again, it's not a science record. It's not a dry book of equations. It's simply a story of what God did. And I will say this. I believe we as humans are meant more to enjoy it than understand it. I'm not saying it's wrong to dig around and find, find interesting stuff, but we're meant more to enjoy it than to understand it. One illustration that comes to mind as I think of this story is a young man and a woman who are blessed with a little baby. Do they understand the process, the ins and outs? We know a few things. But mostly we don't know. But that doesn't keep them from enjoying that new bundle of life. And it shouldn't. We just enjoy it. We just celebrate it. That's what we're meant to do. That's what we're meant to be. People who enjoy and celebrate God's good gifts, God's good creation. We know next to nothing about anything. But it's sure a great thing when we can bask and revel in the creation that God has blessed us with. And that's what God wants from us. Yes, at this point in time, it's broken. It's not very good in some ways. There's so much sin. That's why Jesus came. But I do believe this. One day, we will stand before God, each one of us, I don't doubt that for a moment, and we will see face to face this glorious, majestic, all-powerful, creative presence the Bible calls God will see him who made us, and he will look at you and I, and he will say, I made this for you, meaning creation. I made it for you to enjoy, not to be owned, not to be destroyed, but to be enjoyed and to use to worship me. Some people do that. Some people instinctively, or it's little children, by the way, I just want to say, they somehow intuitively do this. And Jesus calls us to be like that. And the greatest worship we can give to God is when we use his creation for his purpose. And when we do what he's made us to do, we truly are doing what he designed us to do. So how do we wrap this up this morning? How can you and I enjoy God's good creation in 2021? In this world with the sin that's here now, there's always the pressure and the pull from the culture to do things differently and to leave God out of the picture. That's the worst we can do when we leave God out. The only answer is Jesus himself. The children's story was a beautiful illustration of the influence that Jesus had in his day. He should still have in our day. Since the time of creation when sin came, God has been drawing people back to himself. All through the Old Testament, through the times of the prophets, God has been reaching out to humanity with a message of love and grace, showing people his love. There is much in between the story of God's creation and the book of Revelation. When everything comes to a close, there's much in between. But there's a part of God's story that I cannot leave out in this sermon. And that's the part about Jesus that he plays in the story. Jesus was God's messenger sent to the world. Not just give us the message, but to actually be the message. And when he was living on this world, the disciples did not always have a clear understanding. Didn't always quite get it. 
And so one day he's they're talking. And there's a there's a passage in Matthew 18, beginning verse one. I just want to read those verses, and then we'll close. <clears throat> Matthew 18:1 begins this way. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, "Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven?" And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Living in God's kingdom has been God's plan since the dawn of creation. And it will continue past revelation. Living in God's presence and God, in relationship with God and fellowship with God, worshiping and honoring God, has all along been the plan. That was the whole idea behind that initial creation story. That is still the plan. That's still the idea. And this world as we know it now won't last. We know the story of Noah and the flood. We know the story of the judgment. That's still coming. The world is a lost place, but God is still working, redeeming his people. In fact, according to the teachings of Paul, a new heaven and a new earth are in order, and they're going to come. God will restore everything that sin has tarnished. If we're going to enter paradise, that place where everything is perfect, where it only gets better and better, it won't be by living according to the world's standards. It'll only be by becoming faithful as little children, trusting fully, putting our faith and confidence in God, childlike faith, walking with Him, living for Him in the world He's created for us. We're created to worship, and the best we can do is enjoy a relationship with Him. Do we think, do we think that in eternity, God will be measuring out his wealth with carefully calculated balances and accounts and scales. No. God's created universe is far, far, far beyond that. It's created at his disposal. And there will be extravagance and wealth, or maybe that's the bad word to use, but just an, ex an excessive abundance of everything that we could possibly imagine. And we are called to be part of that. I think that's one of the lessons that, that the universe teaches us. God created so much for such glory. Let's embrace the beauty. Let's enjoy it. Let's live in the moment. Children do that. God never told us not to. So as God's created creation, we're created for glory to reflect his glory back to him. Maybe today you're experiencing peace with this creator God. If you are great, praise him. On the other hand, maybe you don't know him. Maybe you're feeling life is opposite everything that points to glory. And maybe your life is full of darkness. Maybe there is no order, no structure, and everything is chaos, and there's darkness. God wants to bring even our personal life, our personal world, into organized structure that glorifies Him. I want to remind us, Jesus Christ is God in human form. When He came to this world, He humbled Himself for our sake. He became one of us. Things are not now as good as they could be, or they one day will be. It has been broken, it is broken, but it will be fixed. And, me, and yes, our hearts need healing. God made paradise for the people he had made. Even in this world, we may not have paradise for our physical bodies, but it's coming. Due to all the suffering and pain, we are struggling with it now, but we have a promise. Paradise is coming 
for God's people. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word to us. Thank you for the Bible stories that we have. Lord, we pray that as we contemplate, as we think about the beautiful creation that you've made, you did it so you could put us in it to glorify and worship and honor you. What an awesome privilege. What an awesome calling. What a blessing. Lord, help us to remember that and help us to serve you with the best that we have. And as little children with faith and abandon and humility, just serve you and worship you and honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.